2: This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. A lot of NBA conversation on the show tonight, as you would expect. Less
3: than a week until the NBA draft. Certainly a summer ahead where there's always a move that catches us by surprise, or at least a couple of them in the NBA offseason. Joining us now to talk all things NBA, it's our pal, the outstanding front office insider for us here at ESPN. It is Bobby Marks. Bobby, Dan Grosset, thanks for hopping on tonight. Good to catch up again. How are you?
0: I'm good, Dan. How are you?
3: No complaints whatsoever. Doing better than John Morant these days, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> let's start there. 25 games Surprise you at all?
0: No, it didn't. I think if it went to, you know, I've seen people think it was too much. Some people thought it was too less. I thought it. You know, if he was going to go, if, if we if we handed down a 50-game suspension, the likelihood is that probably gets reduced back to 25. I think that's kind of the sweet spot where Morant uh, likely, I would say, probably doesn't grieve this. Um, you know, and certainly he already put out a statement there and, and accepted responsibility. So I thought that's kind of where, you know, I thought of where it would, would, would fall. I think, you know, certainly the um, – you know, the inability to practice with the team, to play preseason games, to be there for training camp, to practice, I think certainly hurts. So basically you're you know hoping that John Moran keeps himself in shape come, I guess, early December when he'd probably be eligible to play. So no, I thought I thought that's kind of where the number was going to uh, go, gonna fall in.
3: And certainly it's not going to cripple their season in any way. You know, early December, there's plenty of time to still get your act together and have a productive season. And after all, they've played pretty good basketball while Morant's not in the lineup the last couple of years. But you lived in NBA front offices. I'll ask you this way. If you're the Grizzlies, and I understand now you've had a couple of red flags off the court in a short amount of time involving your franchise player, despite the overwhelming talent that he brings to the court, Is there at least an ounce of concern moving forward that, you know what, this thing might ultimately backfire one day and we're a little bit nervous?
4: Oh,
0: I think it has to. I mean, here's a player that was already suspended eight games and, you know, did the national TV circuit and was out front saying how remorseful he was and that he learned his lesson Um, and, you know, you know, basically, you know, took a month away from playing basketball here and then you know, what two weeks into the you know into the off season for them, that all of a sudden this reappears. So, if you're if you're not going to learn uh, now, um, I don't know when you will. So I think that will always like John Moran could say as much as he wants. He could put out statements. He could show contrition. He could you know do charity work. He it it, it it's great. But it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter until you know until we see his actions here. And the actions are is that you know, the the maturity part of it here. So, of course, yeah, I mean, he's entering year one of this big $194 million um, rookie max extension here. He's the face of your franchise. You basically have built this roster around him. So, I I would say your feelings about John Moran are a lot different now than they probably were, you know, probably a year ago.
3: What do you think this shows from a commissioner standpoint with Adam Silver? You know, like for those that think that, you know, he (laughs) wasn't, too swift enough and certainly you know he doesn't rule with the same iron fist that his predecessor the late great david stern did do you think that you know the rest of the league takes notice of this not to say that you know they think that they're going to be able to run amok and do whatever they want but what do you think it reflects on adam silver
0: i think it reflects that this is not the gilbert arena's case situation from way back when when gilbert Arenas got 50 uh, games basically for brandishing a, a weapon in a locker room scenario here that that's that will get you 50 games here. And I think I thought the penalty was fair. I just, you know, I mean, I know a lot of people were looking for him to kind of put the hammer down because he embarrassed the commissioner here. And I think you have to, there has to be some common sense to the, to the, to the suspension here. You know, he, at the end of the day, there was no crime committed. However, there is the conduct detrimental to the, to the team aspect or to the league aspect that the commissioner has been out front about here. So um, I would have loved to see Miles Bridges get 50 games, right? I thought if you're gonna, you know, for for a guy who was, you know, um, whatever. I guess he, you know, you know, found uh, as with the, you know, spousal abuse here, mm-hmm. and basically commit, um, you know, um, pleaded no contest. And I, if you're looking for, you know, for that, that's where I thought, you know, he could have maybe put the hammer down. But I, I thought 25 was, you know, the right, the right number. And I think. I think what it shows you is that you don't have to commit a crime for you to be suspended in this league.
3: No, and, if you, and as, you know, it's almost like a PR thing more than anything else. If you damage the brand, if you damage the shield, then they have a right to act. It's not the criminal justice system. You know, and that's the point that we're trying to convey to folks here who think that maybe it was a little too harsh and too severe. Same thing happens in the NFL, Bobby, right? I mean, they're a protective yeah. of their brand oh, yeah. more than anything else.
0: Oh, definitely. And that's the that's the reason why, you know, there's 25 games right now.
3: All right. Let's talk a little player movement, because we know that the NBA is always exciting about that when it comes to the summertime. And you never know who could get moved. And there's always an eye opener or two name that's kind of made the rounds over the last few days is Bradley Beal. Washington reportedly now is given his agent permission to go seek a trade. We know that Miami is high on the list. He's a Florida guy. Um, where do you think the Bradley Beal sweepstakes stand right now and do you think it would make sense for maybe the Knicks to get involved?
0: Yeah, I mean New York is interesting just because I don't think the, the I don't think the cost is going to be high. It's certainly not going to be what it was for um, you know Donovan Mitchell this this past offseason, I I almost equate it to you know working in the Nets front office back in 2012 when we traded for Joe Johnson, and you know it cost us four guys on expiring contracts, um, a future one, and a pick swap. That that's that's what you're looking at probably from from the perspective of of, uh, of Bradley Beal. Now the problem is is that you know we're we're walking into this new age of this new collective bargaining agreement where you know, a $50 million guy in your roster, you have to be careful as far as what else is on there. And I said on TV the other day, I said, hey, you know, maybe for New York, it's let's just give them our, you know, our expirings, whether it be Fournier and uh, maybe the Derek Rose option is exercised. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get the numbers to match. And then maybe we give them back their purse, right, that they have. And then it sounds good, but then when you look at it, Man, it starts to add up when you have Jalen Brunson and you've got Josh Hart is going to be a free agent. You got to figure out what to do quickly. And Julius Randall's there, and it just the numbers just start to add up here. So, I think you, you dip your toe and you see what the cost would be. I think if you're Brooklyn, you maybe you could dip your toe in if it's not too severe here, um, based on um, based on where you are. I mean, Miami, yeah, Miami makes sense certainly because even with these new CBA rules that are going to come in. With Bam and Butler and uh, Beal, the they've shown the ability to go out and find these under the radar, you know, low cost players to kind of build around, and that's how you would have to do it with three guys on on uh, on max contracts. I think for me, whether it be New York or or Brooklyn or Miami, I want Beal. You know, outside of him, you know, he's going to leave the no trade clause though. But as part of the deal, I want the no trade clause to go away for good. Like that's what I would want in order to, to get me interested because it, the no trade carries with him. We had it with Garnett in uh, in 2013, and then he had to wave it again to go to Minnesota. Here, that's what I would want because two years from now or three years from now, I don't want to be stuck in the same position that the Wizards are right now. So, I think I think he's the guy that gets moved. I think it's just a matter of you know what the appetite is. what's what is what is the Wizards actually be looking for? Are you looking for a young player? In Tyler Hero, you're looking for draft equity. You're looking for expiring contracts here. I think, I think man, what's going to happen is that the, the Kuzma situation and the Porzingis situation, where both guys have player options, if Kuzma doesn't come back, then Beal's looking at this roster saying, "Wait a minute, you know, we won 35 games and we just lost a 20-point score." Like that, that will basically kind of push the envelope a little bit more there.
3: Talking with Bobby Marks here on 987 ESPN, you mentioned another name which has also kind of been circulating out there, and that's Porzingis. We know about yeah. the relationship. You know, there's there's some days I wake up and I say, boy, you know what, that wound seems a little still too fresh about his time here with the Knicks. Conversely though, all the guys that were part of the organization when KP was with the Knicks, they're no longer there. So if that player option is something that's picked up, do you think that is maybe a player that makes sense for this team? The one-year deal still left on it, could he make that big of a difference for this club if they have a reunion?
0: I thought he had a really good year. I really did. I thought he had a great year in in uh, with the Wizards. You know, I mean, certainly his durability issues are always going to hang over him. But I thought he played. You know, he basically put him at center. I thought he played at a high level here. As you mentioned, he's got um, till June 21st to pick up that 36 dollars million. I, I'm more inclined that he will exercise. If he doesn't, two things are in play. A, yeah, if he if he if he declines, a, there's a deal in place with the Wizards, and or B, there's a deal out there for someone because you don't decline that. And we, you know, hopefully keep your fingers crossed here. So, yeah, I mean, if he opted in, I would, you know, peep what the interest would be as far as what it would cost. I mean, you'd have to figure out what salaries are there, and um, you know, for, for the Wizards
3: talking with bobby marks here on 987 espn dame lillard okay he's already gone on the podcasts and he's talked about places that he would find appealing if he were to get moved and look it seems like he's the subject of rumors every single year that the blazers <laughs> don't win as we know and you know he's that guy you admire him for sticking it out with the one franchise and trying to win but it just hasn't worked out do you think this is ultimately a time where he gets
0: moved well, I think it's going to be his call. I mean, I just wish that you know whether it be this summer or was it last summer, like just just make up your mind, right? <laughs> like, is this, is this what you want to do? Because they're not going to they're not going to move him unless Dane Lillard walks into Joe Cronin, their GMs, and says, "Hey, you know, I don't want to go through this again. You know, we we kept the third pick in the draft. I like Shane Sharp, but I think we're only going to win forty games. Defense is still not going to be good." I don't want to be in this position a year from now. Then the wheels start to go in motion here. But until then, we're basically—he's kind of like almost has a quasi no trade because of how much equity he's built in that organization here. It's it's fascinating because if you if he ever did like say let's next week he, he went in there all of a sudden Daniel, Daniel becomes available now you have the the, the Beal situation here you got a little bit of an arms race for two guys making fifty million dollars plus as far as you know maybe that helps the Wizards out a little bit from a leverage standpoint here but. I just don't know how that roster is built, and they've got the third pick in the draft, and we'll see what happens, and Jeremy Grant's, um, you know, a free agent. I just don't see that roster, the timeline of that roster built under Damian Lillard's timeline. And I would be nervous g- trying to go out and move number three for a, an established player with the idea that a year from now, Damian Lillard could leave, um, you know, certainly has to be traded, and now you've you just traded away the third pick in the draft.
3: By your estimation, you mentioned the draft, and we know that it's coming up on Thursday. General consensus, strong draft class or maybe not all that impressive this year? Where do you stand on it?
0: A lot of – if you like a lot of wings that can defend and can't shoot, this is the draft for you.
5: (laughs) 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 So so what you're saying is, as
3: we like to call them, glue guys, right, Bobby? Glue guys.
5: Well, you're going to –
0: You'll probably hear me say, "Hey, he's got great length, but man, I don't know where you. put him. You know, <laughs> You're basically going to have a struggle offensively. It's not a hey, you know. You certainly Victor at at the top, and then the Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson debate at two and three. Which Scoot's interesting, just because both teams have point guards with Ball and and Lillard here. And then it's kind of it really opens up. You know, the the, uh, the Thompson twins, who eighteen year old big wings, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's um, it's an interesting draft class. I think there's. What I'm intrigued about, Dan, is that you know we saw this year with Christian Brown, at, um, who played at Kansas and then goes yep. to Denver. The teams in that that Miami, Golden State, Clippers teams that have spent a lot of money that have limited flexibility. Are they willing to go out and get a you know draft a guy who's been there for three or four years that can come in and win now, and kind of uh, you know opposed to a, a, maybe a project that maybe could be an All Star five or six years from now.
3: And and look, the landscape of college sports, I mean, for those that don't necessarily pay attention, not to say that this is the case with every player who has options, but not every guy is immediately rushing to declare for the draft as much as it used to be, Bobby, because of NIL and you could still have opportunities to earn and to still live the college life just by going back to school.
0: No, you're right. I mean, we, you know, I met with Drew Timmy a year ago, and I don't know where he goes if he doesn't get drafted at all, but, you know, Drew declared last year and then went back to Gonzaga, and I asked him, I said, why? He goes, well, I was making, like, over a million in NIL money, you know, and I got to go to college. You know, like, so that appeal is there for players, and I think think it's good for college. I think it's great for the league where you have more guys that are three- and four-year guys that can kind of come in and, and play right away.
3: We'll see how it shakes out for sure. Should be a good one. Bobby, always appreciate a couple of minutes. Thanks for making some time for me here on a Friday night, and uh, we'll catch up again real soon. But thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thanks. All right. There's Bobby Marks, our outstanding front office insider from ESPN. It's it's a good – you know, the draft – the draft for this week, and we haven't done a lot on it yet. We will, of course, once we turn the page into, you know, the next couple of days. But it's, it really hasn't gotten a lot of buzz because we all know about Victor right at the top. He's the generational player. He's the guy that's supposed to, you know, kickstart the Spurs into another, you know, run of success, which is probably the last thing that everybody outside of San Antonio would like to see, of course. But, you know, everybody else, you kind of just fall in line and see what happens, right? I, I mean, it's, it's different from how it used to be. And I and I do think, and that's why I brought it up to Bobby, like the the NIL thing is significant because now players, they've got a choice. I'm not talking about like the surefire, you know, top five picks that are gonna make millions upon millions. No, I'm talking about the fringe guys who may or may not be, let's say, first round picks or may or may not even be lottery picks. If they're really good in college and they're successful there, well, now you have NIL. As you just heard Bobby say, there are guys making more than a million dollars still in college and you could still live that lifestyle. You may not even be happy with the school that you're at right now, or you maybe want something new, a change of scenery, as they say. You can up and enter the transfer portal. Transfer portal is like the most common theme, not alongside NIL in college sports right now where guys are just at least dipping their toe in the water and seeing maybe I'll go here or go there and visiting different places. They have more options than the collegiate athlete used to be. And as far as transferring is concerned, the big difference is what? You don't have to sit out immediately, right? You can play right off the bat. Once upon a time, you have to
2: sit out a year.
3: Now you just go, you play. And don't have to sit and waste another year of your, let's say, basketball life.
2: This is 98.7 ESPN. legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
3: We've got a final. We got a final in Queens, folks. And you know what? If you went to the game tonight, well, if you're a Mets fan, you're happy because your team won, but I don't know if you feel like you got your money's worth. How about two hours and one minute? 121 minutes. That's all it took tonight, and it's more of a reflection just how bad the Cardinals are. Like we talked about earlier, Mets win this one, a laugher, a rare laugher, 6-1. to one. I don't know about you guys, but this is a winning streak, two in a row for the Metropolitans. That's right, back-to-back. Back. They put up some runs early. They gave Tyler McGill a little bit of a cushion. He goes six innings and gets the victory. See, the problem is now you can't fall into the trap. I'm just, I'm just laying the foundation right here. McGill gets the win, but... I'm not going to be, like, all in on Team Tyler McGill, okay? He, he is who he is. The Cardinals are just stinky, all right? It, it would be tough to cough up the lead that the Mets gave him tonight. But you take the win anytime time you can get it. You move on and then see if he can at least take this series tomorrow. You give the ball to Senga, who's been very, very good at home against Adam Wainwright, the KG uh, veteran who was uh, in his final season, of course, for the St. Louis Cardinals. But tonight, you know, like I said, bat struck early. Starling Marte had two hits, Jeff McNeil had two hits, Tommy Pham had two hits. You get that type of production up and down the lineup, chances are, you know what, good things are going to happen. 11 strikeouts of the Cardinals tonight. Hey, you get the win, you move on, and let the Cardinals deal with their problems right now because they've got plenty of them. Up at Fenway, the news uh, not as positive for the Yankees. They're getting blasted by the red Sox it's 14 to four right now they're in the seventh inning in that one the red Sox scored in each of the first four innings it was that six run third which broke the game open Justin Turner is the one that's having a huge game has a grand slam in this one Uh, six RBIs to begin with Uh, Masa Yoshida has four hits and three RBIs in this one as well not a good outing for Domingo Herman. Crook came in out of the bullpen. He got lit up like a Christmas tree as well. Scary moment in this game, though. You probably see it on the news if you haven't seen it. Uh Higashioka hit a comebacker right back to Tanner Houck, who was the Red Sox pitcher. It caught him in the face. They say a facial contusion. Had to be helped off the field. The blood, the whole nine yards. But uh supposedly, no fractures, nothing like that as of now. You hope it's okay. Scary scene anytime that happens. So you hope for the best for the Red Sox pitcher. But hey, more questions about the Yanks as uh Barring something really crazy. Looks like they're going to uh, have a second straight one in the L column. Losing tonight up in Boston. Let's hear from you, though. 800-919-3776. Let us say hi to Tommy in Connecticut. Up next, here on 98.7 ESPN. Hello, Tom. How are you?
5: Yeah, good evening, bud.
3: Hello, Tom. What's up?
5: Uh, you know, I hear you talking about the Met game and, you know, a lead you can't give up. Um, Yeah, looks like the Yankees are on the opposite end of that up in Fenway. I don't know if there's something in the tap water, but... uh. I mean Herman Herman gave what What? 7 on 7 and then Matt Crook came in and said hold my beer I got I got this. <laughs> I looked at his stats he's got an ERA of 27 not 2-7-0, 27
3: 27 yep
5: that's that's just that's just wonderful my god you know yeah, you good know
3: thing what? Uh, if you're Boone too he's probably looking at it as you know what look whatever the score was at that point when he went to the bullpen and I understand at Fenway Park, you're never out of a game. But the way the Yankees have been swinging the bats, Boone even had to realize, we're out of this game. We're not winning the game. You know, I might as well save my big bullets for the rest of the weekend and see if I can piece together the series on Saturday and Sunday.
5: Well, yeah, no, I'm so glad that he uh, he didn't use any of the uh, prime relievers, you know, Wednesday against the Mets in a winnable game. You know, we got to save them for this and uh what, went we the even, you, went the day yeah, off. We the day off. two off days in the same week. They were off Monday, too.
3: <laughs> I know. It's unbelievable.
5: Oh, God. Baseball is just hysterical. Lose but, yeah. the battle to
3: win so this, the war, as they say.
5: Yeah, so this, this one's. Like, I don't know. I, I just stayed on hold, and I figured I'd talk to you instead of watching the rest of that garbage. Yeah, it's over. <laughs> it's over. It's done. But, uh, you catch any of the, uh, First two rounds of the U.S. Open, these guys are beating I, up this course.
3: Well, this course, and, and you know what, the greens aren't soft, right? I mean, there—it's basically very dry and, and a very kind of just hard course. Hard, not in terms of playability. I'm just talking about the surface of the course. Yeah, these guys are having a field day out there.
5: Which is which is so uncharacteristic. The, the Open's usually brutal. You know, the worst pin locations, like you said, you know, hard greens where you're rolling off. I. When I, when I saw the first round scores in that, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, Ricky Fowler. He was he, mm-hmm. he was eight under day one. Like yeah. what on and earth right what now, is going on here? Right now he's here? ten
3: for the he's ten for the tournament.
5: I mean, normally you're finishing like your Sunday scores are you know, two under, three under.
3: Jordan Spieth, I remember when he won his. He had, you know, just an unbelievably lopsided score. Like he was destroying that course. I mean, yeah, he, he was. not he one like the... He
5: was like sixteen under or something like something crazy, right? Yeah.
3: And, and uh, why am I blanking on his name? For um, jeez, um, why am I blanking on his name? The the guy, Mr. PGA, Rory Mac, Rory. Remember when Rory won? It was kind of the same type of thing. Um, yeah. I I don't know. But hey, here's the thing, NBC. They're getting this one in prime time because it's out in LA, so it's West Coast. They're gonna have primetime Saturday. They have primetime tonight, primetime Saturday, primetime Sunday. They like it if these guys are all gonna be in contention here, but as far as like what they're doing to the course, that country club can't be sitting out there and saying, Oh, yeah, this is gonna be of, you know, one of the more challenging courses that you're gonna see on the tour. It ain't well, St. Andrews, actually, I can I, promise you that.
5: No, yeah, it's definitely it's not uh... <laughs> It's it's not uh, Shinnecock Hills or it's not Wingfoot for sure. But I heard something – I forget who I was listening to. There was something funny about this uh, – that country club. They don't let – they don't let, like, pros or, like, celebrities or anybody um, become members. So it might be just kind of a gimme course, you know, to make, you know, just rich yuppies feel good about themselves. You know, Perhaps. So can I mean, you play know. It.
3: It's L.A. You you never know. I'm (laughs) I'm not familiar with the golf landscape out there, uh, obviously. But, hey, I'm all for believing that one for sure. Tom, thanks for the phone call, my friend. You get back to us. Have yourself a good weekend there. Yeah, they are. I'll tell you, they are ripping that thing up. No pun intended. You know, we'll see what tomorrow and moving day has in store. But right now, you have, as I just take a quick glance at the leaderboard, and they're still going strong. They're only through about, even the guys who um, teed off last, they're only about 14 through. So you probably have another, at least another hour of golf. And you got plenty of daylight still out there. One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's 11 golfers right now who are within six shots of the lead. 11. So it's a good weekend. Good weekend for NBC. And if you're a golf fan, you know what? Father's Day, U.S. Open. You get all your Father's Day stuff out of the way on Sunday, whether you're going to, like, a breakfast, a lunch, whatever it is. You come home, you're going to be able to watch your golf at night. And hopefully it's going to be a fun little uh, final round there with the final couple of pairings. I don't know if you guys heard this. We'll get back to the phones in just a second. Talking about the basketball, you hear Carl Anthony Towns on the Pat Bev podcast, Patrick Beverly, you know. So Carl Anthony Towns, who's a local guy, you know, from Jersey, whole nine yards. Carl Anthony Towns went on that podcast and some of the stuff he was saying, like you, you want to be like, is he, is he serious? Is he joking around? Like, I, I don't get it. So let me start with this one. He's comparing last year's Minnesota Timberwolves team, which by the way, just to refresh your memory, in case you didn't know that Timberwolves team was one and done in the first round. Okay. One and done. So naturally If you lose in the first round of the playoffs, of course the comparison you would make is that of the team that just won the NBA championship, right? Well, Carl Anthony Towns did. Take a listen.
2: It was more special what we did in Minnesota because we had like, what, like a month. It was more special what we did in Minnesota because we had like, what, like a month and then we had training camp and it was like, you better figure it all out right now. And we really figured it out quick. Yeah and then like we got that done quick think about it. they have what yoke's been in the lead four years oh four years if you think about it, you four years we got it done in four months <laughs>
3: what did you get done like, what, what did you get done like seriously like i i mean I'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to look at this from so many different vantage points as to which direction he might have been coming from Like, even if it's not meant to be comic relief, like if he's trying to be serious, like think about every team that went to the playoffs. Like, for example, the Atlanta Hawks this year, right? They went to the playoffs. They were a seventh seed. They lost in the first round to the Boston Celtics. They were 41-41. and Did anything the Atlanta Hawks do this year, did you find anything they did impressive, anything at all? I didn't. I mean, they fired a coach, right? They got Nate McMillan fired. Maybe Trey Young had his blood, you know, the blood on his hands a little bit, and then they brought in, uh, you know, the former Quinn Snyder. But did he do anything impressive? Because that's essentially what the T Wolves accomplished last year. Yeah, I know that maybe you know, just making the playoffs, losing in the first round, that's better than winning a championship. But okay, um, but he didn't stop there, though. He decided to just talk about himself in particular. And I'm gonna put it like this: me.
2: I feel like when my time's up and my and I retire and I put the shoes up and I say, you know what, Pat, I'm a, I'm a, me, the kids and the wife, we are gonna head out to the sunset and enjoy life. I feel like there's gonna be people who are gonna say, you know, that I changed the game, and I'm gonna be very appreciative of that. That's gang. Everything's up for stipulation, and you know what I like to say is that no matter when think when this is all over, that there's gonna be kids coming up saying that they're gonna be able to play a different way because I played an NBA and did it a different way.
3: Well, not for nothing. All right. Like, again, I, I can't help but be in that kid in the back of the classroom and I'm like raising my hand because I have a question for the teacher, right? Like, she's teaching the lesson. I, I don't understand what they're saying, so I got to raise my hand. That's what I'm doing right now. When you talk about playing and change, first of all, you played 29 games this year. So, to actually like change the game, you have to be on the court. You played 29 games. What are you doing to change the game if you're not out there? How many playoff rounds? have you won in your career you know you've been out of the first round so i i I don't i don't know i i don't know carl anthony townsend and i like him i like him jersey guy you know what we stick up for each other but he's been to the playoffs three times he's averaged 18 points a game he's played 16 games in the postseason he's averaged 18 18 points points a game i understand having a high self-opinion of yourself and you know your self-worth and positive attitude and all those things i mean what are we talking about change change what game like his high school team saint joe's Matuchin or whatever like his high school team what do you change the nba i'm i'm i gotta you know what i I got a few things to do this weekend i'm not that far from Matuchin. i'll swing by the school See if I could walk in and I'll, you know, poke around and see maybe what was changed. I don't know. Maybe we'll have the answers there. What was Kendrick Perkins' reaction to the comments, Jacob? Let me hear those.
1: I understand we just
3: witnessed
2: the Denver Nuggets. Win the- How can you it- change the game when at times we don't even know you exist? Oh, okay, damn. so that's that's the first thing. Second of all, I mean, sometimes – you know, I, I feel like with call Anthony Towns, like, just stop with the interviews at this point, bro. And who are the people that are gonna say that you actually changed the game? You haven't done it yet.
3: Ow. Like, he didn't even say that about me, and I'm in pain right now. That's harsh. You don't even know you exist. Damn. Oh my god, like. Carl Anthony Towns probably having a nice night someplace. You know, maybe he's having a good meal or whatever. And then all of a sudden he's getting hit with some strays from Kendrick Perkins. Yikes. I understand we're in the opinion business, and this is what we do, and we're supposed to give you an opinion on all these type of things, me, him, whatever, but that was way harsh. Ouch. You just laugh about it and make light of it like I am, but he just literally came out and, and pulled no punches and said the dude don't exist.
2: Damn. This is 98.7 ESPN.
1: Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be.
3: Yankees, well, they're not having such a good night in Boston. 14-4. The score right now is they go to the eighth inning. So, in all probability, Yanks are going to drop the opener of this one. And we'll have some things to say about that for sure. I don't know if you guys saw this. So, Michael Jordan, in my opinion, the greatest ever lace him up and to step on a basketball court. Done incredibly well for himself off the floor, right? In terms of business dealings and so on and so forth the guys made a ton of money guys made guys made more money off the court than he ever did as a player in just his salary i I mean like exponentially more money it's not even close guys made you know a couple billion dollars from nike for crying out loud and all his other business dealings probably another couple billion dollars so he sold his majority ownership stake in the charlotte hornets as a matter of fact now He got $3 billion for it. Let that settle in for a second. $3 billion was the price tag. When Jordan, and again, some guys have all the luck, right? When he became majority owner back in 2010, he paid $275 million. Do the math on the investment. You pay 275 mil, you sell it for three bill, I'd say that's a nice return. But... Were they the most successful team during that run in the NBA? Of course not. 13 years as the majority owner, Charlotte made the playoffs two times. You know how many rounds they won in the playoffs? Zero. Zero. Now, if Carl Anthony Towns saw that, he'd probably tell you that, he, you know, they're going to look back and say that he changed the game as far as ownership is concerned. But you know, nevertheless, that was one of the criticisms for a lot of years. And you know that Jordan heard it. And you know that he was sensitive about it. And look, I don't know. At this stage of the game, he's 60 now. He's getting up there, even for the great Jordan. Maybe at this stage of the game, maybe he couldn't take the losing as much. And that's one of the reasons why he cashed out. Now, look, it's not like he needs the money. He'd have to live 20 lifetimes to be able to spend all the billions that he's already earned in his life. But I would think for somebody like Michael Jordan, who was the ultimate competitor and who is, you know, as fierce a competitor, it was winning, and then there's everything else in his playing career, right? For him to take all this losing when his name is attached to it and he's the guy who ultimately oversees everything, I I think that's got to be a punch to the gut. And this is a lot of years of that, right? So I'm sure that it's a combination of the economics and just in terms of not having the success that he's accustomed to having in anything that he does in life probably led him to sell the team. And you know what? Hey, so be it. I still remember those early years of the Charlotte Hornets, you know, from the 90s, Larry Johnson, Alonzo Mourning, Muggsy Bogues, and, and the like. You know, they were a fun team. They were a good team. Charlotte was one of those teams that – he was one of those teams that was kind of almost in like, hey – Unfortunately, you're in a conference that has Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Not to say that they were ever, like, championship caliber. But they didn't have much of a shot. There were a lot of teams in that Eastern Conference back then that just didn't have a shot. You know, I remember even those Cleveland Cavaliers teams. Mark Price, Brad Darty, Larry Nance. Like, those were good teams. Like, really, really good teams. You know? Those teams were probably better than, like, this Miami Heat team that went to the NBA Finals. But they never had a shot because you always ran into the Chicago Bulls, it seemed like. And they were always there to dash your dreams. 800 is the telephone number. Let's say hi to Mitch in East Windsor. He's up next here on 98.7. Hello, Mitch. How are you? How are you doing, Dan? Hey, Mitch. What's going on?
6: Thanks for taking my call. Uh, what is week? Uh, What's going first, on on um... this
3: Friday night, Mitch? What, what, what are the plans on Friday? Anything exciting or what?
6: Oh, I can barely keep my eyes open. Oh. <laughs> the week yeah, I haven't <laughs> before. <show. laughs> so it goes go. There, get all my hours, get more than enough aesthetic. So I
4: hear what you're saying.
6: Yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna do my trip and go walk. That goes out the door. <laughs> that that yeah, motivation. Not tonight. Um, no, definitely not tonight. Maybe tomorrow. Um, but I got babysit my grandson, which is I mean, him and I for two hours.
3: Oh, right, well that's you know, that, that
6: like a good time. Yeah, yeah he's, he's almost walking. Almost. I say he's walking by a twenty seven. All right. Before good. I get
3: to the
6: before I get to the Oakland Athletics, um I mean John Morant, you got over easy. Did he didn't even have a third? I mean what kind of a deterrent is that? Maybe he was a third string point guard, then he would have got a uh, uh, more appropriate uh, punishment. I mean You know something though.
3: You know what, Mitch though, I don't know if that's necessarily the case and I'll tell you why. Because if he was some obscure player, as you said, a third string point guard, people I don't think would bat an eye, they wouldn't care. But because that he's a superstar and he's one of the faces of the NBA, this I think the league hopes is something that will resonate for everybody out there to maybe catch warning and say, We better not step out of line.
6: Yeah, well, what where's the guy um he needs help. I guess he needs help at the first guy, will go for just you got another psychiatrist. He um, does. You know, Santa, San Antonio has got the first pick. We all know who's going to take. take. That should take not even two seconds to say his name. Right. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, as soon as they
3: won the lottery, we off. know who they were taking.
6: Yeah. Uh, i love to have uh, Zion on my team. I mean, can you imagine if the Knicks get him? They would have three dookies. They're all one and done. And does didn't give um, much chance to register. I never understood why Cam Reddish was never uh, given much of a chance here. I mean, it seemed like anywhere he goes, I mean, he's like six eight. I think the well, sure. I, I mean, been I a mean That's he why threw, the Knicks get off like.
4: easy,
3: right, Mitch? That's why the Knicks get off easy because it's been a few stops now, and he still really hasn't, you know, connected. But, I, Mitch, I got to run. I thank you for the phone call. Well, Have yourself see. a good right. night. Thank I appreciate you. it as always. You, you know, and if you know, look, I I, I, I would stay away from Zion. Let's face it. You know, that, that's a, not a direction I would go if you're the Knicks. I don't think you have to. And besides, they just got done remodeling the garden. I don't think that you can make a nursery any bigger if you're going to bring in Zion. Which seems to be, you know, which is part of his M.O.
2: right now. This is 98.7 ESPN.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
3: St. Louis Cardinals, the hapless St. Louis Cardinals. Tyler McGill picks up the victory, goes six innings, got loads of run support, which is what you would expect. Afterwards, here was the skipper, Buck Showalter, on McGill's outing.
1: It's always beneficial, you know, for people to do the job that they're best equipped to do in the bullpen, but uh, especially with with us being short down there. You know, you don't go down there and say, hey, I need you to go deep in the game tonight. You need It works every night to your benefit, but um... Yeah, you I know, had some help. Big double play ball we had with uh, Leon. Uh, Omar throwing uh, the guy at third base was big for us and uh, kind of momentum change. A lot of good things, but it starts with starting pitching. You know, Tyler getting, you know, I'm trying to quit not thinking that six is deep, but I've, I've changed my thinking. It's, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that.
3: All right, so Buck is okay with it. Look, he'll take a win. They've gotten two in a row, and you continue to see if he could get this momentum against a bad baseball team this weekend. As I said, Senga tomorrow against Wainwright. The Cardinals are just uh, they are awful. And remember, in St. Louis, who they don't have a football team anymore, the Cardinals are life, right? I, I mean, the Cardinals are St. Louis, essentially. And... They're even at wit's end with this team. Like They don't even know what to do just because they've been that big of a disappointment, really and truthfully. Um, Real quick on the football front for a second. Quinn and we spent a lot of time talking about Saquon Barkley this week. He spoke Giants minicamp, no movement there. The Quinn and Williams situation, the standoff continues there, but I've been saying it and I just checked in with some people with the Jets uh, over the last couple of days. It's close. You know, I, I, I'm reiterating the same thing that I've been told even going back. It's close. So, if you're a Jet fan, don't worry about the Quinn and Williams situation. He will be there for training camp. I mean, they might even announce this thing before the month is over. It's, 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 it's that close, right? It's like dotting the I's and crossing the T's close. So, rest assured, number 95 is going to be on that defensive line ready to wreak havoc against opposing teams here. Let us uh, close it out tonight on the phones with our pal Artie in Brooklyn. He is up next here on 9870SPN.
4: Art, good evening, sir. How are you? Yeah, you know, Dan, I was ready to go nuts. vogelback is D.H. Alvarez is one of your best hitters. What, he's too tired of D.H.? And what do you know? vogelback gets an RBI. Everything's great. The Mets win. Bucks are genius. Sixth inning is deep. But, with all that said, okay, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't understand the, the the mentality of the Mets as far as, like, the putting together of the team. Mm-hmm. They they have put all this money on Lindor, right? He's supposed to be our superstar, and they can't get the production they need from him. And I said it. They have Mauricio in the mind. Fine, you don't want to bring him up. Mm. But why are you playing? I don't get it. Why are you sitting out? What are your best hitters? If you have the DH, why isn't he DHing? I don't Talking get it. Talking about Alvarez. Of I course. know they won't, Dan, but no. I don't get the logic. Did anybody ask him? Is Alvarez tired?
3: What the heck? I. You know what? Look, he looks like a genius, Art, and I thank you for the phone call. I got to run tonight. Vogelbeck hits the home run tonight. Blind squirrel finds an acorn, whatever you want to call it. But it does seem a little weird that Francisco Alvarez is not in the lineup today after two days off this week.
2: This is the Dan Grasa Show on 98.7 ESPN. Robert Half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.